Big Sip. Hey, 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 welcome back to The Big Sip. I cannot believe we are here officially 2021, and I've got such an incredible guest here with me today, kicking off our, our Thirsty Thursday, Dryuary Who. We've got some great wines to talk about, uh, a great winery producer, partner, person, a change maker, a trailblazer, talking about none other than Kashi Coletti, owner, proprietor of Ashens and Diamonds, which I'm sure so many of you have heard about. If you hadn't yet, we're definitely going to be chatting about it. Um, so, so excited to, to have him here. I don't know if you've had a moment to, to tune in and, and check out the, the episodes that have been popping up, but really what, um, what inspired me to do this, um, I know you met me when, when we were, you know, putting on that incredible event that I'm still so grateful for. I talk about it all the time. I'm like, Kashi Coletti is like the greatest person ever. Like he was so all about not just the movement, but you were genuinely behind this idea of bringing cultures together, of, of bringing, you know, a, a wide variety of different people to understand that. Um, it takes all of us to, to try to create a world that reflects a community that looks exactly like our makeup. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for you for that. And so this, this whole series was really inspired by people who are in the wine industry, people who are in the, in the media arts entertainment industry, in uh, the culinary industry, you know, things that also are, are very deeply rooted within Napa Valley, uh, but tend to just have sometimes maybe one-sided narratives. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to utilize my position here at the radio station to really try to tell more stories, um, stories that come from, you know, people of color, people who are industry disruptors almost, um, which, you know, getting to meet you and also just doing my own research on you and finding out about the incredible things that you've done. I, I mean, I was reading even on the Ashes and Diamonds bio, like all of the different um, branding that you've done for multiple companies uh, all over the world, as well as um, the awards that you've received for some of the videos that you've been able to produce and and how, you know, at the common core, the, the thread that brings all of those things together is, is also your love for bringing in those cultural experiences, bringing in uh, those stories, those narratives from a wide variety of different people and, and being able to highlight that. So yeah. I was excited. You know, I, I, honestly, you're saying all these things deep inside. Uh, I'm just a fat little boy who likes to be lazy <laughs> and watch TV. And so as you get older, you know, you have to shed your, your baby fat, so to speak. So I work hard not to be who I really am, which is ultimately just a, a foodie who likes to eat and drink and eat potato chips and watch uh, movies. <laughs> what, are, what are you watching right now that it's the holiday season? A lot of good stuff. Um, I saw this Netflix movie, Mank. Uh, it's about uh, the screenwriter of uh, Citizen Kane. Mm -hmm. I have watched, I'm really excited to see Nomadland, uh, which is um, uh, directed by an incredible um, female director of Asian descent, actually. Very um, cool. And uh, she did the movie, I believe it's called The Writer. Um, it's a, a, a movie about a small a rural town in i believe texas um uh, and it's uh, about a, a cattle herder um anyway she made that movie earlier and now this is her um sort of bigger movie with francis mcdormand and uh, I, i'm sort of scouring trying to find a way to watch it because of course in los angeles we're we're very much on lockdown here and mm -hmm. the theaters aren't open so mm -hmm. yeah well, I, I love movies. Obviously, I named a winery, named <laughs> after the winery after a movie. So I, I really do love 
movies. You named Ashes and Diamonds I after a movie? I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but in fact, um, you know, um, the home I'm in right now mm -hmm. um, in Los Angeles was owned by uh, Ben Margolis. Do you know who Ben Margolis is? I, I don't, um, but I, I, I'm excited to learn right now. Was the attorney for the Hollywood 10, uh, the, um, uh, the 10 screenwriters, inc including Dalton Trombeau, uh, who were um, accused of being communists and uh, they were blacklisted in Hollywood. And um, that lineage and um, that, that the way people tend to have one directional thinking and cast out people, mm. whether you're on the right or on the left, um, is something that I think is so toxic. Mm -hmm. And um, what he represents is um, something very important to me. So being in this home is very important to me for that reason. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned something important, you know, um, which I think we've seen a lot of, especially this year, given the political turmoil, the civil unrest that, that happened. Um, there was almost like this cancel culture where people couldn't even engage in conversations anymore to even try to, again, not justifying or saying either side, which one's right, which one's wrong. But in, yeah. in order for us to gain a better understanding and really acknowledge and learn about people's experiences you have to have a conversation and it's almost yeah. as if this year um people just weren't even willing to engage in that it was like if you don't think this one way uh it was that you were an outcast we immediately just removed you from the picture there is no you know engaging in a conversation or trying to understand or even just trying to understand someone's thought process i'm, I'm gabrielle I'm, I'm i'm nobody's dog you know it's like i i I'll, I'll vote Democrat. I voted for Ralph Nader in 2000, uh, but I'll, I'll vote for the next Republican if he um, he can do a better job for the country. I'm I'm definitely um, an independent an mm -hmm. independent thinker. Mm -hmm. um, I, I voted obviously for Biden for ob obvious reasons, um, and uh, but but I think like unfortunately um, dogma, whether it's in winemaking. You have these natural winemakers who are dogmatic, who refuse to uh, maybe add a teeny bit of SO2 so their, um, so their wine doesn't uh, spoil. Mm -hmm. um, when you have the opportunity not to use SO2, fantastic. You make a, a zero, zero wine. But when the wine needs it, you add a little bit. And I just see a lot of comparisons with whether it's with wine, religion, politics. Um, there's the sheep. And then there's the shaman, you know, mm. um, and to me, it's very important to um, be an independent thinker and uh, lead, lead and follow with your heart rather than 100% um, put yourself in a, in a box that's branded. 100%. I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, a lot of that independent thinking, as you just said, that's something that's important to you. It's how you lead your lifestyle. I think it's also what has allowed ashes and diamonds to be uh, as successful as it is. You know, we're, we're very used to, I'm born and raised in Napa and, and my whole life I saw, um, you know, there's this very sort of um, one like model for a lot of the wineries here. It's almost like our mom and pop uh, wineries and like their old school days, you know, um, with, with some really dated environments and you brought something totally cool, 
totally different uh, to the table when you decided to open up Ashes and Diamonds. And it's got like this very like California-esque SoCal type feels. And maybe it's because, you know, you bring a little bit of that with where you come from uh, and, and you know, um, being, being in L.A., but um, it's definitely attracted, you know, this whole other group of people who um, for a lot of the times, you know, in the wine industry, people don't tend to pay attention to uh, the Gen Xers, the millennials, the people who are coming in, who are now going to be the the new sort of folks who who lead wine moving forward. And because no one's really attracted them or created this space for them to engage in, um, they were always kind of left out of that equation. But but you changed that up. And so you've kind of been this this change maker. And, and I think it has to do with a lot of that individual thinking. And and I'd really love to, to learn more about where that comes from, learn more about um, your own journey in wine, whether that be just with wine or the really cool projects that you've been able to do for, I know you've, you've worked on some things with like Google. I know that um, you, you were able to receive the MTV's Woody award as well for the video of the year. So I feel like you have so many cool life experiences and stories and, and you've clearly, you know, you're, you're, you're making me blush here, but <laughs> the reality is I won the Woody award because I was working at MTV at the time. So they gave the award to one of their own. So I didn't really win it. it but, but then again, I know there's politics with awards in general, but yeah, it was, they gave it to one of their own, but um, but I'm sad. sure it's still well deserved. I, I think you need to toot your own horn a little bit more than you're probably used to. <laughs> yeah, Gabrielle, I think what you what you're doing is um, uh, I started to um, learn about what you were doing around the time uh, that um, there were Black Lives Matter protests in in Napa, and I was talking to Steve Mathiason and I asked him like, "Who's who's doing this? It's it's incredible." And um, that's when I learned about you and. Why I'm a fan of yours. Um, oh, I actually took my daughter to uh, the Black Lives Matter rally on Third and Fairfax. I was living down in Fairfax at the time, and um, you know, we we were on the sidewalks um, and just sort of cheering everyone on. We weren't actually in in mm-hmm. the people moving, but when they hit Third and Fairfax, that's the border to. Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. and there was a barricade basically blocking everyone from Beverly Hills. It was a it was a very peaceful protest. And then when that when that barric when they came across the um, police line, sort of sheltering this wealthy community, that's when the rubber bullets started flying. And so unfortunately, I had to. My daughter got an eyeful of um, a historic moment that took place in Los Angeles here, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, had I known, obviously, I wouldn't have taken her to, uh, you know, a, a full-on riot. But that's what happened. And the reason why the riot started was that they were stopping him. It's not reported, but the reason why the riot started in Los Angeles was that very moment where they were blocking um, the protesters from just crossing to through Beverly Hills. Um, and I think that uh, race uh, and... Um, Separation of class almost, too. I think it's socioeconomic. 100%. um, You know, we kind of take the piss out of it in Ashes and Diamonds. um, And, yeah, we make very serious wine, but we're just not going to be serious about it. You know, we're not going to posture about, you know, the the notion of being a luxury brand. What does that really mean? Um, And in terms of 
exclusivity and not letting people into your winery mm. you let everyone into the winery mm -hmm. um and uh, unless obviously we're sold out but we don't discriminate um as to who our guests are which is very important uh, for us we are about inclusivity at ashes and diamonds versus exclusivity for a lot of um, others and you feel that the moment you step onto the property and just, you know, everyone that you have there who is a, a part of that team. Um, it was so great when when we did the, the Crush the Vote event there on, on your property and just getting to know your team um, from that experience. And, and also, I've enjoyed just tasting there uh, and going with friends because it does feel very welcoming. Uh, and I think that's, you know, something that a lot more people are, are saying is something that we more more winery partners need to start putting at the forefront is, you know, accessibility. Who are you marketing this towards? Really understanding that wine is for everyone. It is made yeah. by so many different people, so many different hands that touch that product uh, before it finally gets to, you know, whoever it is that's going to be enjoying that that wine in their glass. And, and that's why it shouldn't just be, you know, for any particular um, socioeconomic class or for only a particular group of people um, where I'm curious, where, where does this sort of um, mindset that you have, uh, where did that come from? I, I know that your dad uh, also yeah, created Dariush. Yeah. Was there something there that, that was inspired yeah, that's, from that? That's exactly true. The, the irony is, um, and you wouldn't know it, but my dad is the one who took me to the amnesty international, um, events when I was a, a, a first grader. She, he took me to the big Amnesty International concert um, in, uh, in the Coliseum uh, with like um, Tracy Chapman and Bruce Springsteen. But like um, he protested um, the jailing of Nelson Mandela when he lived in Iran. Mm. I'll probably embarrass him. I don't think he's revealed that to anybody, but uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it was really influential on me. Um, extremely influential. Um, we're very different, obviously. Our brands are very different. Um, but in fact, you know, the style of wine we make was introduced by my dad to me when I'd go over to his um, either winery or his home during Thanksgiving or Christmas or Persian New Year. He'd always break open those uh, 70s era Robert Mondavi wines which um, that's the style of wine we make, which is uh, a fresher wine, uh, minimal intervention, it's terroir focused. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, Robert Mondavi was an environment of inclusivity. Um, you know, uh, he even put a, a Mondavi, I think, in Disneyland or Disney, Disney California Adventure and made it accessible for people and wasn't shy about having his wines in the supermarket as well. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, like what, him and that family represents is what Napa Valley is at its best. And yeah, I mean, there's Opus One too, and that's a little bit more, I guess, um, exclusive, if you will. But, uh, you know, read a little bit about the early days of Robert Mondavi, and it was about uh, community, and it was about um, bringing people together. Um, man, um, played, I think, was it um, a very historic... Um, uh, African-American performer. It wasn't Shirley Bassey. It was some, some, um, a, a very prominent, um, soul singer played at Robert Mondavi winery. Sergio Mendez played at Robert Mondavi winery. I mean, bear in mind that's in the seventies, sixties and seventies, you know, mm -hmm. very different era. Right. And that, that's just, um, you know, that's super cool. I think 
Yeah, I think that when when you when you speak about Napa Valley, you have to talk about Robert Mondavi and the Mondavi family, and they're very influential, and they've been very kind to myself, and they've been kind to my dad, um, and uh, they what they built is what Napa Valley is. Mm-hmm. So. And I like that you specifically highlighted the the community that comes together because that's what wine should do. You know, yeah. wine is supposed to bring people together, whether it's uh, around a table, super formal, or or you're willing to do something informal. And and you know, the basis of it is you know this beautiful product that people get to enjoy with each other, whether they're talking about it um, or just enjoying each other's company through it. That's what that's what it's all about, and that's the exact emotion that gets elicited when um, whenever I've been on your property at Ashes and Diamonds. So you know, hats off to you and and to what you've you've been creating and what you've been able to build. I, I really, truly get inspired seeing. <laughs> You're reminding um, me right now of. I was going to make a t-shirt that says cult wine suck, um, but I but I didn't do it because I don't want to upset anybody. <laughs> but, but like cult anything, I'm just anti-cult. I know like the youth culture romanticizes cults and cult fashion. I hate it. I think that's, that's sort of like that um, the sheep mentality I was talking about. So just anybody who feels uh, an emotional uh, need or to fill a void with a cult, whether it's in wine or in religion, I just think it sucks. So. Your your t-shirt right now, and for anybody who is, is listening to the audio, it says corporate rock sucks. What's, what's the bottom part also say? So, oh, corporate rock still sucks. <laughs> Reminds me of a uh, uh, Kurt Cobain when he showed up on the cover of Rolling Stones magazine. Well, he, he copied this. It was from um, SST, which is a a punk rock record label um, in where I grew up in in Southern California, the South Bay of Southern California, um, and Black Flag, uh, Minutemen, um, all those punk bands of the early '80s. Um, uh, they all came out of that that region. Red Cross came out of um, where I grew up in Palos Verdes um, and in Hermosa Beach. So, um, you know, I, I was very much ingrained in that community and um, what they represented and, and their lyrics. And um, I became friends with a lot of um, them growing up. And still to this day, like, that's my religion, really, is what they um, spoke about. You should read those lyrics if you get a chance. I mean, I think punk is written off because it's not um, eloquent, um, but punk is about raw emotion and marching to the beat of your own drum. Yeah, exactly. So you seem to you seem to do that a lot. And and every sort of facet that you're involved in is this individual individuality um, that you really want to bring to the table. Talk to me a little bit, a little bit more about that. Yeah, I I think that's really important. Um, I just again, it was something that I was raised with, with, you know, Amnesty International, with punk. Um, that's just how I was raised. And I just think of coming from a country, uh, an oppressive country like Iran, which, you know, I'm very proud of where I'm from, but I'm not proud of what happened to it. Mm-hmm. You know, their um, government is a theocracy. Um, and so I don't believe in that. Uh, I, I think Iran was beautiful in the 70s. Uh, they had a very progressive art and cinema culture. And, you know, in the 70s, they had, uh, you know, in the 70s, even in America, like the art, pornographic art house movies they weren't like um they were very new it wasn't like they were um um, your typical 
what's been known as pornos. They're, they were like art films back then. It was very different. They had those in Iran. Uh, Andy Warhol um, did a, um, um, a uh, portrait of, of the queen. It was a very progressive culture and it sort of backfired and it, and, it, and it turned into a theocracy. So I think, you know, you know, my heritage probably has a lot to do with that. What part? Uh, not, not that sort of like mind control. I, I'm not a fan of. Right. And so you you draw a lot of inspiration then seeing, you know, maybe historically what's happened there and, and what you want to do differently here in your own space. So, yeah, I think it's, a you know, love thy neighbor and uh, lead with love. Mm -hmm. you know, you know um, yeah, I, I just don't have tolerance for like violence or hate. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's why I was so against Trump amongst a zillion other reasons, but like um the vitriol that came out of his mouth. Um I think the country is just healing right now, which is great. Hey, by the way, it's great that that um uh he won, right? Like um <laughs> that's what it was all about when we did our thing together. We did do our thing. We did our thing. That was it was so great to know and, and Megan and I still talk about this all the time, how you know that event uh, and just the entire People's Collective for Change Crush the Vote campaign, um, we were able to register and impact uh, over 350 different individuals. So, you know, although maybe to some folks it's like, oh, it's a it's a small number in comparison to, you know, how many people can vote. But, hey, every number counts. And, and that was the that was the whole reason for why we went out and did that is giving people that power, letting them know, you know, that they do have uh, the ability to make the difference, whether it's going to be in wine, whether it's going to be in the arts and the media industry, whether it's going to be, um, you know, politics and something that, you know, changes that people want to see. There are change makers here who are hungry for the world to reflect a little bit more of something that looks like them and, and definitely a world where I, I uh, completely agree with you, you know, basic rule to me that that golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated. Love thy neighbor. It's it's really the the only thing that we need to do um, if we want to if we want to see ourselves go into a positive direction. I definitely agree. So I want to know more about, um, I guess, your experiences. You mentioned, you know, coming here from Iran at a very young age. And I guess I'd love to learn more about how maybe that influenced you growing up or what your experience has been as a person of color, even navigating some of these spaces, whether it be things that you did in LA in the, in the media side or things that you, you know, have encountered here in Napa Valley and whether or not um, these industries or these communities that in which you've been a part of um, have always opened up their doors for you or if that's been, you know, a little bit difficult for you. Because sometimes yeah. I know there's there's a lot of folks who who definitely want to enter these spaces, but they're they're not necessarily the most uh, easy spaces to tap into when when you don't look like everybody else. Yeah, I, and I never have. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I you know, it, especially in the early '80s, uh, you know, being Iranian wasn't very popular, and, and I don't think it's much more popular now. Um, but they make the best food ever. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, you know, in kindergarten or first grade, uh, you know, when I, um, everyone has like their peanut butter and jelly sandwich, my mom would make me these very extravagant stews with rice that, that, you know, um, um, don't necessarily look like the aesthetic that most youngsters are accustomed to seeing, but like I was ridiculed for the food I ate and by our culture, um, you know, as a, as a kid, that you take that to heart. But as you grow up uh, a bit more, you you embrace it. And you 
embrace who you are. My mom's cooking certainly influenced me. And that's why, you know, our culinary program at Ashes and Diamonds is so significant because, you know, we make Persian food uh, at the winery and we also make Israeli food. We also make, um, uh, you know, um, Asian inspired food. But, you know, people, t I, I'm an unabashed uh, cultural appropriator. I will steal your culture like it's going out of style and then show <laughs> it to everybody and tell the story behind your culture. Because I think that, um, uh, I don't know why people, um, listen, I get it if you're doing a pupusaria next to, um, a, a, you know, a, you know, somebody who's from Jalisco who has their own pupusaria, like, I understand that. But if you are tipping your hat and doing your own thing. An ode um, to. Yeah, exactly. You're introducing uh, pupusas to people that don't know about pupusa. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go to that guy's stand on, you know, Selma uh, down the street in, in Hollywood and they will buy the pupusa there. And that's the real pupusa. Anyways, it tastes better than any pupusa that we'll ever be able to make. But you, but, you are almost that entry, that level yeah. to entry, you, the, the exposed part where you are allowed to expand people's minds. Yeah, and that's why I think I, 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 I really don't like um, the, the media's portrayal of cultural appropriation. I'm just, uh, I just think it is doing a disservice to a lot of um, honest folks out there because if you have a pupusa on your menu, odds are that that person will be learn about pupusa, Google it, and then find the real stuff. You know, I think that's so important, whether it's a pupusa or whether it's a California roll. I mean, so I, in, in Los Angeles, sushi was all the craze in the eighties. And I started with the California roll as some of most of us. Do. Most of us do. Yeah. We're like, I don't know if I want to adventure all the way in just yet. <laughs> yeah. But now I go to Tokyo town to, to get my sushi. I don't even mess with you know, um, fancy sushi places. Uh -huh. I, I go straight to the source. And so my journey was that. And I wanted to to do that at Ashes and Diamond. So uh, we even had, I think we took it a little too far. We did a piece in the Middle East feast, uh, which not a lot of people came to. I think the, the branding might have sort of um, uh, offended a lot of people. But we basically had um, foods from the entire Middle East to showcase what the, you know, how 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 rich Middle Eastern cuisine is, mm -hmm. and how well it pairs with our Cabernet Franc or our cuvées from Oakville, or even our natural wines or well, Fizzante, weird Fizzante natural wines. Well, and I think that's the that's the super cool part about all of the the different cultural cuisines and the food program, the great culinary programs that you have at Ashes and Diamonds. Um, because everybody uh, is very used to, you know, traditional filet mignon with this beautiful cabernet, you know, like we've got the traditional meals and people aren't really used to, or at least uh, every single time I talk about it, I get people who look at me very odd when they're like, wine does not go with Mexican food. Like you cannot take that much of a uh, cultural ethnic food and pair with this wine. That's, you know, very delicate. And I'm like, have you like gotten down and thrown down in your kitchen? Because there are some great dishes that will go with these wines. And people tend to think that you can't take um, oh culturally God. ethnic food, which tends to have lots of spices uh, and yeah. introduce them with your wines, but it's the opposite. There are so many foods that you end up eliminating and even food pairings that end 
end up elevating your wines that you completely take out of the picture simply by being closed-minded that way. And, and you're changing that. Here's an example. For, for the other wineries, why not pair your high alcohol residual sugar uh, Cabernet with some mole that has sugar mm. in it? You know, it's like, that's a Mexican food. Yep, and mole is phenomenal. You know, I'll take, you know, I'm not going to name names, but use your imagination. The big, big, those big wines that have residual sugar um, that are really soft, that would go, so, they'd be like, it'd be a marriage made in heaven um, mm-hmm. with uh, mole. And um, well, although so there's a lot of options, Oaxacan foods would give you a lot of options. Mm-hmm. I, I love Oaxacan food. Absolutely. And I think that that's where people can challenge themselves to to kind of get a little bit more creative, think outside of the box without naming any names, because obviously we want to be respectful for everybody in the industry. But what do you see as sort of some of the biggest challenges that are facing a lot of uh, these wineries that have that old school mindset as opposed to being willing to engage in new creative spaces and trying to attract new consumers, younger generations, um, and, and sort of changing up that landscape. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll use a great example of, you know, what my dad has done. Um, he's honest about um, the wines he makes and who he is. He's not trying to be cool, which I think is even worse. Like you just have to be yourself. And I appreciate that more. Like, the worst thing is like when uh, a historic heritage brand tries to rebrand itself as young and hip and, and does all the wrong things. I think that, you know, what's cool about what my, what my uh, dad is doing is, you know, he's actually just continuing on his trajectory. Um, they introduced the culinary program and, you know, I keep telling him like to, to do more Persian foods, but he, he definitely has, a, has been incorporating that accents of it in this culinary program which is which is a way i think for him to continue to connect with a a a new audience without sort of like rebranding and trying and doing in a contrived way trying to be cool Mm -hmm. i think food speaks to a lot of generations and i think food is a great way to um communicate the identity of of your wines as well like if i see a red wine with a, a mole I immediately know, okay, the sweet notes are going to match with the, the perceived sweetness from the high alcohol with residual sugar. I think being honest about who you are is really important. Like if we did, um, I think if we started to try and do get very conservative with what the kind of wines we're making or trying to, you know, be something that we're not, I think we'd get called out pretty quickly. And it's also important to note that, you know, a lot of like, a lot of those heritage brands are doing quite well still um, mm-hmm. the ones that are true to who they are and so um i embrace that as well i make it a point to try wines that i may not be comfortable with so i don't have a house palette uh, it's really and, and just just as easily i'll watch fox news to understand the unfortunate thing is like we live in a propaganda machine in america right now just depending on what channel you're on so if you're on Fox, you're in one propaganda camp. If you're on CNN, you're in one propaganda camp. Very Sucks. True. I wish it was more united. So I have to watch. Sometimes I'll watch PBS, BBC, Fox, and CNN just to pick and choose and have a, a sort of a, a vortex where all that information goes to, where it all makes sense. Because there's more than one point of view. 100%. There, I just compared Fox News to to wineries uh, <laughs> but 
No, yeah. but it, but it, but it, it's true. You know, being able to see sort of everybody's mindset, what that landscape looks like, so that you can just develop a, a really um, wholesome framework for what is out there and and that information. Um, do you do you feel as though a lot of the wineries um, are are headed in the right direction, or or what do you think specifically as someone who is sort of yeah. this um, purveyor of of you know change and inclusivity? Do you see them going and making those right steps, um, or or what do you think is is that next thing that you think they need to do? I do, and a, a, a lot of them are. I think um, you know. I think. Uh, you know, I started out with a with a closed mind, but um, I've sort of fallen in love with uh, uh, the Napa Valley of today. You know, there's a, a lot of um, producers out there that uh, may not make wine like, you know, our style, but have a lot to offer. You know, um, there's quite a few of them. You know, I, I um, you know, just to... Uh, name a few, you know, I really like uh, Claude Duval. Um, I like what um, uh, Diana's family is doing, Snowden. Um, it's great wine. Matthiasen, of course, but um, but my dad's doing a great job. Even, um, I can't quite afford it, but Promontory, um, you know, that they make exceptional wines. Um, but they, they are a cult wine, but they're not, the quality is there. I mean, they're not culty un unnecessarily culty about it you know they make hey if i i'm you know i think a lot of people are just jealous because they can't have a bottle i mean I, <laughs> you know, 350 or 500 dollars a bottle that's a lot to spend on on a drink but um if money wasn't an object i mean they do a killer job with, with their wines as does continuum uh, which is uh, the the extension of the Mandavi family. Those are exceptional wines. So, yeah, I think you know, as as long as people continue to make great wine and honest about who they are, Harlan's honest about who they are. Um, my dad is honest about who he is, and uh, Continuum Continuum is honest about who they are. Man, it's a bright future. You it know, is. Get, get a hold of um, you know the annual fires, and if we can get a hold of um, you know. Climate change is, is a is a is a is a, is a, is a you know global entity. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot a lot of upside and bright side. I think. Sorry, my daughter is Zoom classing. No, you're okay. You're okay. It's this new virtual space we're all operating. <laughs> I'm just grateful that we were able to to sit down and and get in front of a, a screen here and chat because this is awesome. You know, learning about that authenticity, learning about. Um, the things that make you tick and, and really what inspired, you know, Ashens and Diamonds to frame itself the way that it is. Um, as more people start to engage in these conversations and start to say, you know, there needs to be this change in the industry where we bring in more um, voices of people of color and, and, you know, provide more people of color with access to even career opportunities, employment opportunities, um, all of these things as that change starts to happen, what, what excites you the most about, about the future or about the future of wine or even the direction that, um, Ashes and Diamonds is headed in? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, wine is being embraced by, um, by call, call, you know, I don't like saying, you know, Gen X or millennials, but, um, millennials do represent, um, a sizable population, twice that of Generation X, mm -hmm. and the same about the same amount as the baby boomers. And uh, if we're if we're gonna look back at history and um, look back to the 
the wealth of the uh, 80s and 90s. I mean, that was sort of uh, propagated by the baby boomer gen generation, right? That's when they started that spending power. And the millennials, and I know it's been a slow roll to get there, but they'll get there. And I think when they do, they'll go to the best soil there is, which is in Napa Valley. Honestly, as, as an outsider, believe it or not, in this industry, learning about AVAs, like Oakville is just magic. Um, and I, I don't have a vineyard there, but I worked with the Araujo Vineyard Rancho de Canyon, mm. which is, by the way, another great producer is the Araujo family's wines. Yep. Um, wonderful, wonderful wines. Um, and also Jamie Araujo um, also has a, a wine as well. I think it's called Tuan, Tuan Noir, um, fantastic wine. Um, but I think that the reality is once the noise settles up, oh, she's on the piano. Once the noise settles down, the reality is like, it's not even about us. Like Oakville dirt is the greatest dirt in, in the world when it comes to Cabernet, as far as I'm concerned. If you just get out of the way and let Oakville do its thing, it's gonna be magic in a glass. Very true. Couldn't agree more. Um, what What is your, your favorite AVA that you've been able to work with as a, as a winery producer? What do you think best expresses the, the diversity of the Napa Valley? The diversity, I don't know, but like Oakville, um, Oakville's up there. And I think like some of my favorite wines have been historically have been from Oakville, but um, I love um, the old Maya Thomas wines, like their Merlot, which is $75 is... Um, or was $75 before it was acquired, but that that wine is uh, incredible for, for the value and that some of the best Merlot, I think, um, that I've ever tried. Um, certainly as good as some of the greats from Pomerol. Um, mm. Also, uh, you know, Oak Knoll, which is where we are, I think it's um, developing, or it has, you know, it's a relatively new ABA, but, you know, the Cabernet Franc that we get from Oak Knoll from our estate is is magical. I think it's learning the voice of the vineyard. Um, I've been vocal in saying that uh, Cabernet uh, Sauvignon from Oak Knoll, I, I've, I've had a hard time embracing. I think uh, Cabernet does better uh, with thinner soils versus the thicker clay-based soils of um, Oak Knoll. Um, and so, uh, I, I really embrace Oak Knoll for what it is. Listen, I understand my land value would go up if I planted Cabernet Sauvignon, but that's just, it's not, it's not the speed I think Cabernet Sauvignon is at when it comes to um, where we are, which is largely clay-based soil. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, it has, a, being authentic, I think, I think that word is overused these days, but being real about where you are is really important. Where we are, we just, after, uh, six, seven years working with the dirt, we know Cabernet Franc and Merlot um, do quite well in the clay soils we're in at our state. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Maybe then we shouldn't use the word authentic. We can use uh, unfiltered. It's raw and unfiltered. <laughs> okay. How's that?
<laughs> there you go. Um, but you're doing a lot. You you have done a lot to sort of break up, you know, the the typical motion and notion that we're we're very used to in the Napa Valley. Um, do you have any any exciting projects that you're that you're looking to venture into as we continue to to push forth and kind of shaking things up in this industry? Yeah, we're, we're uh, just behind me up there. We're going to be hosting uh, tastings in, in Los Angeles for for our members um, um, soon. It's a private location, but uh, so that'll be kind of neat. Uh, it's it's creating uh, extensions for our um, for our membership on a, on a nationwide level. That's the ultimate goal. Is that um, I, I want to bring the experience from Napa Valley to different points across the country, but also doing it in a purposeful way. Like being in a, uh, you know, our home, our home is a, you know, it's a, um, that pool house is a, a pure Koenig pool house. And I think that's um, very relevant to the Ashes and Diamonds narrative um, of mid-century. And so being purposeful with how we do it is important just to do it where we just, grab a, a bar location in any town USA is just not how we roll. No, and you definitely don't strike me as someone who just does things just to do them. It feels very purposeful, very intentional. Um, and that's what ultimately will lead to sustainability in these spaces. You know, when you do have that thoughtfulness, when you do have that intention, um, you're able to really create something that people will naturally gravitate towards um, because they see themselves in it or, or they feel attracted to it in some kind of way, shape or form. I, I'm so inspired by you. It's genuinely just everything, your story. And Are you kidding me? The, I'm, I'm, I was just, uh, it was a proud moment to be able to work with you and do something as important as we did so i'm i'm uh i'm very fortunate to know you and to be a part of uh what you do oh well you're gonna make me blush <laughs> the feeling is definitely mutual and and i know that um hopefully it won't be our last i'm sure we'll we'll figure out some some fun creative stuff to do in the future but um before before let's, let's i, I don't have to do anything gabrielle let's hope this country uh does a course correct uh, let's hope we don't have to work. That's right? very true. Yes. Let's hope exactly that a lot of these things that have had to come about in 2020, um, it'll be nice if in the future, you know, some of these spaces don't even need to exist because we've already achieved that that equity and accessibility. I love the the positive mindset. It's what we're going to keep going into, especially in 2021. Definitely make, need to make sure that the, the mindset is right going into this new year. Any advice that you would give people as they're trying to, you know, navigate this space or, or enter the wine industry or... or One very important piece, um, and it comes from Bruce Lee, um, be like water because... If you are set on a direction, um, good luck. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns along the way and you have to be flexible. And so um, you don't have to abandon who you are and your core principles, but be ready to bend like Gumby. Bend like Gumby, I like it. <laughs> How has that assisted you in everything that, that you've you've built for yourself? I love, I, mean, I have had to pound sand a lot um, and eat a lot of humble pie. Um, I've done a lot of things that have, um, you know, have, uh, have received backlash, and, but it's been a learning experience. You know, one, one of my, uh, mentors as a, as a teen was, um, the, the, uh, punk bass player from the Minutemen, um, Mike Watt. And the single piece of advice he would always tell me is, um, be a student for life. And in fact, irony is also that's that was one of my dad's sayings as well. I'll be a student for life. And so um, that served me well. And I've, I've 
I've been going to school a lot recently. <laughs> I'm sure for yourself as well as for your daughter too with this new virtual learning space. Right. <laughs> well, Kashi, thank you so much for, for sitting with me and for letting me pick oh, your brain yeah. and and just getting to know more about you and, and sort of, you know, what inspired you to, to create Ashens and Diamonds and, and the journey in which you're headed in. Any last minute words for anyone tuning in? Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm you know, um, I think what you're doing is um, so necessary. And, and when the protests happened down in L.A., you know, I was texting Steve and saying, of course, you know, Napa's voice won't be as loud as ours, but somebody should do something. And he, he wrote me back and said, somebody is doing something. And then he told me about you and what you're doing. So um, it's great that Nap asked somebody like you uh, out there to uh, blow the whistle. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I really, truly, genuinely uh, appreciate your kind words. And um, it it is it's interesting because it's not something that, you know, I I thought I would be in. Um, per se, as as sort of that lead person, that face that's leading the charge. But as I as everything kept unfolding, you know, you sit there and 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 you can either do one of two things. You can say, you know, I'm not okay with this, and throw your hands up in the air and and say, well, you know, like what can I do? Or you can recognize that there is no one that's going to come down and wave a wand and save people, and that what it takes to do the work is just you as an individual doing the work and saying, like, hey. We might not look the same way as, uh, you know, things that are going on in Baltimore or things that are going on in, you know, other cities that I'm sure see uh, the extent of police brutality and and, uh, systemic oppression at the rate that we do. But it doesn't mean that there aren't things that are also happening here that need uh, attention being called to. Gabrielle, here's to Browner Napa Valley. Yes. Cheers to a Browner Napa Valley and something that uh, reflects uh, the people doing the work. (laughs) All right, Gabrielle. Very nice speaking with you. Thanks for having me on. Big sip.